opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning. This is our BRLF breakfast, Braille Revival League of Florida. So welcome to all of our Florida FCB participants this morning. Welcome to ACB, people who are pretending from ACB, and everybody listening on ACB Radio Land, whether you're listening on ACB Radio itself or one of your smart devices, because we know these smart devices are a lot smarter than we are. So what I'm going to do, and by the way, I'm Katie Lear. I am your convention coordinator I'm going to turn this meeting over to Nigel Reichardt, who is our president of BRLF. He's going to run our meeting, but before we let him have the microphone, because he won't give it back when he's talking, I'd like to thank ACB Radio. Rick Morin is our streamer this morning, and our Zoom host is Belinda Collins, and she will call on people when hands are raised. Okay, Mr. Nigel, take it away. Thank you, Mrs. Lear, and good morning, everybody. Good morning, BRLF. Good morning, FCB, and good morning, ACB. And to all of you who are listening as well, I'm Nigel Reichards, president of the Braille Revival League of Florida, as Katie just announced. And we are having our breakfast and about to open our business meeting. To my immediate right, we have our secretary, Liz Bowden, who will now call the roll. Madam Secretary. All right. Good morning, everyone. We're going to call the roll to make sure we have a quorum. President Nigel Reichardt. Nigel Reichardt, you. First Vice President Delore Gingero. Second Vice President Paul Edwards. Treasurer, Jim Crott. Secretary, Elizabeth Bowden. I'm here. Board members, Georgia Kellogg. Katie Lear. She's here. And and the other one is um, Paul Kurtz. Yeah, his name disappeared. Okay, we have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Secretary. At this point, I would like to circulate around the room and wondering why I've suddenly lost audio. So I'm going to have to speak up so that our board can still pick me up. There we go. All right. Shall we now go around the room so that those present can introduce themselves? I know we have Georgia and Jack Kellogg here. Um, Katie Lear has already introduced herself, and Mark, her husband. Craig Marquist just introduced himself. Ray Campbell. Ray Campbell as well. George and Jack. Georgia and Jack Kellogg. We've already introduced them. Yes. Mary Tyson. Mary Tyson. Janine from Kissimmee. Janine Lee from Kissimmee. Barbara Brown from Jacksonville. Angie, Angie Fang from Angie Miami. Fang from Miami. Sorry. 
Lois Butterfield from Hans Inlet, okay. Jody from Port Orange. Ladies and gentlemen, before we continue, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. I'm gonna put her on the spot and embarrass the Dickens out of her. Uh, from also from Boca Raton, and by the way, I'm from Boca Raton. We have my very special guest, my lady friend, Kimberly Smart from Boca Raton. Uh, we have uh, some business to, to uh, transact. Uh, so we will begin with um, the treasurer's report. Oh, wait a minute. Um, well, before we do that, let's, let's put it in order. The minutes of the last meeting, uh, we have the, February, uh, what was it? February, April, the April meeting, <laughs> April Fool's Day, how could I forget, <laughs> was our last business meeting. And I will at this point entertain a motion to accept the minutes as they were published online. Jim Cross, so moved. Okay, do I have a second? All second, Edwards, second. Paul Edwards. Discussion? All in favor of the motion? I opposed. Motion carries. Okay, treasurer's report. Mr. Treasurer, would you? Okay, just a moment. While Jim's getting to the microphone, we have a couple of our members on Zoom. We have Delore Gingero, we have Pat Lepofsky, and we have Alan Lemley. Jim, are you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. We're okay. Rock and roll. The ACB, FCB, BRL, and BRLF dues and assessments have all been paid. The balance in our account as of March 31, 2021 is $1,536.62, and that concludes my report. Paul Edwards moves its acceptance. Who's that? George R. Kellogg seconds. No questions, all those in favor? All those opposed? No opposition, the treasurer's report is adopted. I will now hand the mic back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Treasurer. Okay, old business before we get to our main focus, which will be our elections. Is there any other old business to discuss? Okay, the main issue right now, um, which should be covered under old business because it was discussed before, is our upcoming officer elections, which is here upon us as we speak. Um, so at this point, I will turn the chair, the microphone back to the chair lady of our Nominating Committee, Madam Katie Lear. Hey, everybody. I'm hiding in the back of the room because John and I are delegated back here because we're bad. Um, uh -oh. So before we do the elections, every meeting is going to have a door prize. And how the door prizes were picked was we had our dear smart lady pick random numbers for us. 
And then when you all registered, everyone received an order number. So when she's told me the number, I looked on the order and that's the person that's going to get the door prize. So that's how these are going to work. You do not have to be present whether you're on Zoom or whether in the meeting. So if you win a door prize and you're here at the convention, you can go see the lovely ladies in registration. Or if you're a Zoom participant, we will mail it to you. So our first door prize is $25 donated by GOCB, which is Greater Orlando Council of the Blind. And the $25 goes to da, 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 Jack Kellogg. And Jack is in the room. So Jack, will you go see Sally at registration and collect your $25? Okay, so now we're going to move on to elections. And we have two year terms of office. We'd like to thank our previous, our current, I should say our current officers is Nigel President. Um, first vice president is Delore Gincherol, who's on Zoom. Second vice is Paul Edwards, who's drinking coffee. Um, Jim Crott is our treasurer. Elizabeth Bowden is our secretary. And our current board is going to stay the same. And that's um, Kellogg, Georgia Kellogg, myself, and um, Paul Kurtz. Okay. Slate of officers, and I'm going to read the slate, and then we'll start at the president, work our way down, and see if there are any nominations. This is our slate of officers. President Nigel Reichards, first vice president Delore Gingero, second vice president Pat Lepovsky, treasurer, no nomination, and secretary Elizabeth Bowden. All right, so let's start with president. I'm going to ask for anyone to nominate three times, and then we'll elect somebody. <laughs> All right, so are there any nominations for president? Are there any nominations for president? Are there any nominations for president? Okay, would someone please move nominations for president be closed? Jim Crop moves, nominations be closed. Do we have a second? Mary Tyson seconds. Congratulations, Delore. You are going to remain president and continue to do a good job. Um, Niall, you're supposed to be smiling. <laughs> I all think right, you meant going... to say Nigel, but that's all right. I, I, Did I say I, the wrong thing? You said Delore, but that's okay. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm already moving on to first vice president. All right, Nigel, congratulations, sir. All right. So first vice president, the committee has nominated Delore Gingero. Are there any nominations for first vice president? Are there any nominations for first vice president? Are there any nominations for first vice president? Someone move nominations be closed, please. Jim Cross moved. Who's our second? Paul Edwards seconds. Congratulations, Delore. You are our first vice president. And Delore is on Zoom this morning. 
door, would you might like to say something? Um, put your hand up so that Belinda can find you. He's one of our phone numbers, Belinda. I want to thank everybody for um, carrying out this election, and I'll do the best job I can do. And best wishes to Nigel as well. And all the other candidates who are on the slate. So, thank you, Delore. Congratulations. Anytime. Thank you. Okay. Moving on to second vice presidents. The nominating committee has put forth Patricia Lepofsky. Are there any nominations for second vice president? Are there any nominations for second vice president? Are there any nominations for second vice president? Someone move nominations be closed. Come on, Jim. <laughs> okay, Liz nom moves nominations be. I second. Okay, and um, congratulations, Patricia. You are our second vice president. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. I will do the best job that I can. And congratulations to everyone else who's so far gotten elected. And have a good convention. We are. We're just getting started, but we started off with a good breakfast, so that puts us all in a good mood with lots of coffee. All right, so we're going to move on to treasurer. The nominating committee does not have a person's name. So we'll ask for nominations. Are there any nominations for treasurer? Hey, Georgia has nominated Liz Bowden and Liz, Liz is currently running for secretary. Liz, do you wanna run for treasurer and not secretary? Cause you can't do both. And I'll stay secretary. Okay. Well, we'll just have to see. Come back to that one, the treasurer. Okay. So what she's saying, we're going to come back. Okay. So Liz Bowden has been nominated for treasurer. Are there any nominations for treasurer? Are there any nominations? I'd like for to nominate. Treasurer? Pat, can you hear me? Yes. I'd like to nominate Georgia Kellogg. Georgia, do you accept the nomination for, for, for treasurer, Georgia Kellogg? She said no. Oh. Okay. Paul Edwards has nominated Jim Crott. Jim, do you accept? Jim said no. <laughs> okay. So Elizabeth... You uh, are currently our only nom for, for uh, treasurer. Okay, Paul is recommending nominations be closed and that Elizabeth is elected nomination by acclamation. Do we have a second? Who seconded, Shelley? Georgia. Georgia, Georgia seconded it. Okay, all right, so moving on to our last office of secretary. Uh, Madam Chair, we need to take a vote on the motion. Oh, I'm sorry. That's why you're here, Nigel. That's why you're the president, to keep us all straight. Okay, so uh, all in favor of Elizabeth being treasurer, say aye. Aye. Anybody opposed? Nobody's opposed, Elizabeth. Okay. 
So now moving on to secretary. Are there any nominations for secretary? Georgia has nominated Janet Atchison. Janet, do you accept? Janet accepts. Are there any other nominations for secretary? Are there any other nominations for secretary? Closed and Janet is uh, elected by acclamation. Do I have a second? Georgia seconds. All in favor? Anybody opposed? Congratulations, Janet. You are our secretary. And Mr. President, this concludes the nomination report. Congratulations to all of our new officers. Nigel Reichard's president, first vice president, Delore Gingero, second vice president, Patricia Lepofsky, treasurer Elizabeth Bowden, and secretary Janet Atchison. Round of applause. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank all of you for your literal vote of confidence. I humbly accept uh, the opportunity to serve as president. I'll be honest with you in stating that I did not know until our chair lady advised me that I still had another term awaiting me. I thought that I was done. I thought I was going to get to step down, but <laughs> I figured I would give my name into the hat one more time uh, after she assured me that the bylaws indicate other, otherwise. I need to go back and read the bylaws again. Obviously, your president is not as familiar with the bylaws as he had thought he was, but here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure this is confusing to some of you because we usually do this on a Sunday, but a recent meeting was held to move the, um, this breakfast from one of the last events to take place at convention to the very first, um, that's besides karaoke, which was not really an official event that took place last night. Did every one of you who did participate in last night's event enjoy the event? It was not covered by ACB radio, but... It, for those of uh, somebody just stated from the audience that that was a good thing. I uh, will. Yes, there Guys, please no talking without microphones because our member are assuming participants sorry, sorry. can't hear. Sorry, guys, that's my fault. Okay, okay. Thank you, uh, Madam uh, Chairman of the Nominating Committee for keep up, keeping us in line, keeping especially me. All right, moving right along. <laughs> Before we introduce our guest speaker, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, we do have a program speaker. Uh, she will be coming up shortly. We'll uh, further dispense with our business matters. Are, is there any old, any other old business before we move on to the new business? Yes. Yes, we, I'm going to announce that we do have some uh, of the braille bracelets left for sale. If we're going to sell them now for $10, I think. Elizabeth, you want to say what they look like, please? They are silver 
uh, bracelets with, and they're about a half inch wide and they have braille sayings on them. I'm sorry, I don't have the list of sayings because I just didn't uh, dig them out. Um, but I'll publish the ones on the, the FCB-L list. And then you could also ask, I'll be in registration today. I know until lunchtime. Yes, I have the bracelets here. Yes, you can come see it. Thank you, Madam Treasurer. Sorry. Uh, Nigel, may I say something, Certainly. please? Please. We have some people in here that if you would love to join BRLF, we would love to have you as a new member. Absolutely. So Elizabeth and Janet will be happy to talk with you. And our dues are $20 per year. Thank you, Mrs. Lear. And thank you, Madam Treasurer. It's going to be kind of difficult on a personal note to uh, transition from referring to you as our Madam Secretary to Madam Treasurer. But that's who you are, Liz Bowden. Thank you. And we now have, excuse me, Jim Crott uh, coming to the podium. And we're about to introduce our guest speaker. But before we do, let's move on to new business. A quick item of new business. Um, there has been the suggestion advanced by, I believe it was Pat Lepofsky, that at our uh, monthly or bi-monthly telephonic meetings, uh, we need to have some more uh, program speakers um, who are talking, who wish to talk about Braille and advance the um, the Braille revival agenda of this particular affiliate. And by the way, the purpose our, of our affiliate is to advance the uh, importance of Braille in the minds of those who otherwise don't know it or don't hold it in that regard and that esteem. Does anybody have any items they wish to discuss regarding that matter? All right, before we introduce our guest speaker, is there any other business to come before the meeting before the group. Let me bring up something. Yes. Mr. President. Uh, Mr. First Vice President, recognize. You and I discussed earlier in the week how we would, um, how I asked you how we would pay our dues for those of us who are not at the convention. And I made a suggestion that we might want to adopt PayPal or Zelle. And you said you were going to bring it up. And I was wondering if you were going to do that. Thank you for the reminder. Okay, we have uh, from our treasurer, our newly elected treasurer, uh, the assurance that she will take care of that for us. Is that correct, Madam Treasurer? That is correct, Mr. President. Thank you, sir. Mr. Crott, you have an item. I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how many of you are aware, um, but I recently uh, read but the National Braille Press has just received a grant. And in fact, they've received or are receiving a second grant and will be offering free annual memberships to the Braille Children's Braille Book Club that they have done for 83, 93. 37, 38 years now, um, they will be giving annual 
free annual uh, print Braille book memberships to their Braille book club um, to 250 uh, recipients. Uh, that FB, FCB considering consider uh, making a gift to the National Braille Press um, in support of their match of the $250,000 that they're receiving for this program that they're trying to raise. I'm going to ask that um, FCB consider adopting a $2,000 gift um, to NBP for this program. And I'd like to move that BRLF uh, support such a gift if FCB does it with an additional $200. So I here move that we give $200 uh, to National Braille Press in support of the match for the memberships, uh, annual memberships to the Children's Braille Book Club. Second. It's been seconded by Paul Edwards. Are there any questions or discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Croft, and thank all of you. Okay, before we uh, pass the mic over to our guest speaker, is there any other business? come before this convention, this meeting. Okay, just so you know, this will be our, <laughs> this rarely happens because the convention is early this year, but this is the second uh, meeting in, in April, <laughs> and this is our first annual in-person meeting for the year. Our next meeting will be a telephonic one, uh, it's scheduled for June the 3rd. That is the first Thursday in June at 7.30 p.m. It will take place via Zoom and or the telephone. Meeting to be announced further information will be emailed by our newly elected secretary, Janet Atchison. In the meantime, I have, okay, we have our guest speaker about to take the mic. Our guest speaker this morning is from within our own ranks. She is well known um, on a national level, I would say international, because she has also given a presentation on the Blind and Beyond Radio program, which is a Sunday night event, takes place from seven to nine every Sunday. She is also going to be our guest speaker for our banquet tomorrow evening. So without further ado, I will introduce the, okay, uh, famous Deborah Kendrick. Uh, before we do so, Mr. Jim Crott has something to say by way of introduction. Thank you very much, Nigel. It's my pleasure and my privilege. Let me put the microphone back in the stand. There you go. Deborah Kendrick brings us the best from Cincinnati and now splitting her time between Cincinnati and St. Petersburg, Florida. Over the past four decades, 
she has <clears throat> exceeded, excelled in her accomplished career by developing and implementing techniques, practices, and approaches to researching, writing, and editing articles, columns, books, and even poetry. She's excelled in all she has done using Braille, as well as being an electronics junkie who knows much more about the electronic and computer technology of Braille reading and writing today than I ever will. It's my pleasure to introduce a wonderful person, a mentor, and I'm pleased and proud to say, my friend, Deborah Kendrick. I am here. I was just uh, assembling. You know, we have the Braille note taker, we have the uh, mobility devices, and all of that. But I just have to say, before I say another word, that that was just about the nicest introduction I have ever had. And, um, you know, it'd be kind of nice to just uh, go rest on my laurels and sit down and let you all believe that what Jim said was true. <laughs> so, um, but at any rate, you know, when I was asked to do this, I, I, you know, I've, I've given probably, I don't know, 30 book talks in the last year, and they've all been on Zoom. And I, I'm here to tell you what's probably not a secret. I was usually in my pajamas. And sometimes I was dressed up and wearing yoga pants and a t-shirt. But at any rate, I'm really happy to be here and, and to be a part of this. And the other thing that was unusual and thrilling about being invited to be here is that there is absolutely no subject I love more than Braille. Braille is, has been at the center of everything that has been important to me, everything that I have done professionally, personally, my entire life. So um, it's easy to talk about, and it's easy to talk about in such a Braille-centric crowd. One of the things that uh, is getting to be kind of de rigueur these days in blind crowds is to audio describe oneself. I won't audio describe myself, but I will tell you that I'm wearing my favorite necklace because my favorite nephew gave it to me about six months ago. And it is a blue, it is a silver necklace um, on a blue background. It is a long rectangle and it says Deborah in Braille. Tray cool, tray cool. So um, when, I'll tell you a little bit about my origins in Braille, which have something to do, I think, with why it has always been so important to me. I became blind when I was five years old. And I like to say that it was very convenient of the school board in Toledo, Ohio, to start a resource classroom just in time for me. It had been there one year when I went to the first grade. So it was one of those kinds of things um, that maybe some of you attended similar programs where you have one classroom in a public school and that's where the blind and low vision kids are and one 
teacher, and it's a small number of kids. The law said no more than 10. And uh, they learn what they need to know in that room, i.e. Braille and blindness techniques. And then as skill and time permit, they go down the hall to the big class, to where the sighted kids are. So I used to say that they should put, you know, on my tombstone, born to read. Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, I really believe that. I believe that my brain was wired to fall in love with language, to love language, uh, and to immerse myself in language, whatever, in whatever form it presented itself to me, and that happened to be Braille. So I've always been very proud that I was such a quick, I caught on so quickly to Braille as a little kid that somewhere along halfway through the first grade, I was down the hall every day for reading class and I was a bluebird. Those were the, you know, you had the bluebirds and the redbirds and the bluebirds were the, were the, the good, the really flashy readers. So, and, and I was the only blind kid. So that was pretty cool. So I got to be in that lovely environment for five years. Um, I skipped the third grade and it, after, when I was 11, and finishing sixth grade, they delivered the, the tragic news to me that there were too many kids and they had to figure something out. And one of the figure outs was to kick me out. And I was going to go to my neighborhood school because they thought that I could handle it. So the problem with going to my neighborhood school was no resources. So for the rest uh, the rest of my schooling, I never had any Braille. I had one Braille textbook in college and one Braille textbook in high school. So I re- remember them vividly. I still have the college one. Um, and in, in high school, it was cool that I had one because it was my junior lit book. And we read, I remember that we read the play Our Town in class. And I got to be Emily. So that was cool because it was the only time I had a Braille book. But... You know, the, the, the saying about, uh, you know, when you have lemons, you make lemonade. And I think that for writers, you have life experience and you turn it into publication. I didn't know at the time why I was doing what I was doing, but I do now because I know a lot more about the brain and how we learn. And when I would listen to a book on tape, for school, and, or when I would have a reader sitting there reading to me. I took voluminous notes. I, I was fortunate that I learned to write with a Slayton stylist. My teacher thought it was important to start that very young, so when the other kids were learning cursive writing, I was learning to write with a Slayton stylist, and I am so grateful for that. So I started writing on a Perkins Brailler when I was six, the Slayton stylist when I was seven, the typewriter when I was eight. And I am so grateful for every one of those skills that she taught me. Uh, so in high school, though, I didn't want to be, you know, the, the slate it was a, a board slate with the, the frame, the metal slate that slid down the board. And you would punch on Braille paper and it was clack, 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 clack. Jim Crott actually told me a very funny story that will be in article that will appear about him in a magazine that I hope you will all read next month. Uh, but, <laughs> but I figured out a way because, hey, I was, 
I was a I was a girl and I wanted to be a social butterfly and social butterflies do not want to be making racket in class and everybody stare at them. So I started writing Braille in the same spiral notebooks that all my friends were using. First, first I used just sheets of typing paper and I would put a magazine or something underneath it to cushion the sound. And then I stumbled into using spiral notebooks. And the cool thing about that is you could punch the dots very, very rapidly and you have this cushion of sound. So it was audible, but it was not annoying. Um, so I, and I, the other thing that that same teacher did for me when, when I was in grade school was to get me a book, uh, Keys to Grade 3 Braille, when I was 12 and tell me to work through the lessons. So I used Grade 3 Braille, and I took these rapid-fire notes, and I realize now what I was doing is that I'm a visual learner, and in order to um, get the information in my head that I was hearing, I had to write it down because it, say, you know, you're learning about a phase in history and someone's reading it to you and you write all these things down. It was like, it, for me, it went from ears to fingers, bypassed brain. It didn't get into brain until my fingers were on the words. And I, I now know that that's because I'm a visual learner. Visual learners learn uh, information by seeing it. And in my case, and probably many of yours, the seeing part of our brain is delivered by our hands. So that's how that all worked for me. So, okay, fast forward to uh, college and graduate school and all that stuff. My degrees are in English literature, but uh, I didn't need those degrees necessarily to do what I do. Um, what you need to be a successful writer is to be a successful and avid and probably obsessed reader. So um, when I, well, all my life, I read everything I could get my hands on. So by then I knew that you couldn't just get a job, you couldn't just, you know, write The Great Gatsby and be instantly famous and wealthy. That wasn't going to work. So I started reading Writer Magazine in particular about how to sell your words to magazines and newspapers, which is primarily what I have done all these years. So in those early days, how did I do research and how did I produce my articles? Well. You know, I've been around a long time, so this is before computers. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, in, in order to do research, first of all, I read everything I could get my hands on, which wasn't a whole lot, but um, compared to what we have today. But I subscribed to a lot of Braille magazines. And then when I could drag someone to the library with me to do research and read to me, I again took voluminous notes with a slate and stylus. And then lots of times, I had a lot of assignments back in those days. I had a real scattershot approach. You know, I sold some things to newspapers, some things to, to um, magazines. I got real, some really fun special gigs where I wrote these things called youth updates for St. Anthony Messenger, which is a Catholic uh, publisher. 
these were things that were used in, in, in high schools um, and social studies and I don't know, religion and other kinds of classes. Anyway, and, th and then I did this whole series of things for Abbey Press called Care Notes. But I would have to research a certain topic and sometimes I could take someone to the library, but sometimes I needed just one fact, like writing something on pregnancy. How many, uh, how many babies are born in America in a year? Or writing something about disability. What is spina bifida anyway? Well, my favorite form of research was to call the library. I used to call the library on a regular basis. And librarians, they live to know, you know? So they love that. And I've made friends with a lot of librarians. Um, it was, and I never had one sound annoyed. If anything, I was annoyed because they would start going down the rabbit hole and want to tell me more and more and more and more and keep finding information. I'm, well, that's enough. So uh, as time went on, of course, technology came into the world. So I'll tell you a little bit about how I, um, how I was introduced to technology because it's kind of a fun story and it's a, a big part of my life. In, in 1985, well, I guess it actually be shortly before 1980, in 1984, I had published a fair amount. You know, I had a magazine article here and a magazine article there and a newspaper. And so people in my part of the world, sighted people, were seeing my byline and publications. And, but I was also in, involved as a volunteer in a lot of things, including getting our radio reading services off the ground in Cincinnati. I take notes with a slate and stylus. Everything's Braille. Everything's Braille. I take notes with a slate and stylus, and then I write the first draft on a Perkins Braille writer. And then I have a foot pedal for my tape recorder, and I read that draft onto tape, and I use the foot pedal to stop and start my own dictation, and I type it from my own di dictation. And then I wait for the only person I think who's as particular about um, spelling, punctuation, grammar, format, and everything else as I am, my friend Emily. I wait for her to come over to proofread. And, you know, inevitably, if there's if it's an eight-page article, there's probably a mistake on at least one of those pages, and I have to retype it. And so that's the story. And he said, you need a computer. I don't want a computer. So I don't know anybody else who had voc rehab come to them and force them to take a computer, but that's what happened to me. <laughs> he said, that's what we do, and that's what we are going to do, and we're going to find out what's the best computer for you. So in 1985, I got the tape-based Versa Braille, and my world was just uh, exponentially, dramatically improved. Um, the other two things that happened that same year that are, were very, very relevant, it's, you know, synchronicity is one of my favorite words, and this was definitely a case of synchronicity. At the same time, um, the Clovernook Printing House for the Blind is in Cincinnati, and they knew me. I had taught there for a year, and I had done a bunch of volunteering there, and they... Their board got this idea that wouldn't it be cool to, we, we produce all these magazines in Braille that are already, 
publish. Wouldn't it be cool if we went into the publishing world? We could publish our own magazine. So the executive director called me and told me this idea and said, but we need somebody to, to do it. Could you do it? And I said, oh, of course. I mean, this, I was a fledgling writer. I'd only been at it for a few years. I'd take any gig. If you asked me to, you know, write the, some kind of commercial about the prize you could get in your cereal box and you'd pay me for it, I'd do it. So I said, sure. And they didn't know yet what they wanted it to be about. <laughs> so he said, well, I'll get back to you. We, we needed somebody to take it on. So he got back to me. We, we think it'd be fun to, to do a magazine about computers. What do you think? Oh, great idea. I love computers. At this time, I had never seen a computer. I had no interest in computer, but it was right around the time I'd had this conversation with the guy who wanted to buy me a computer. And then Ken Morlock, who was then director of um, ACB Ohio, called me and said, we got this call from somebody at American Foundation for the Blind, and they want us to help organize a conference on technology. Will you take it on? Uh, sure, I love organizing and I love technology. I'm suddenly in love with something I know nothing about. And actually, many of you, I'm sure, knew Gail Krauss, Gail Krauss Edwards, who was my best friend and my only blind friend growing up. She and I, and a guy from AFB, um, whose name was Ed Rausch, I think, planned the Hands on Technology Conference in Ohio in 1984, which I'm very proud to tell you that vendors were still talking about that as recently as maybe five years ago, people who were there. It was just the coolest thing. I, I, I really was immersed in the subject. And so uh, ever since then, uh, Tactic ran uh, internationally read for 15 years. And in 2000, as those of you who follow technology may know, in 2000, um, the American Foundation for the Blind acquired it and became Access World. And here we are. I, I never thought I'd reach a point where Access World was older than Tactic, but it has happened. So it's a lot of years. And I, I just feel very fortunate because that work, the work with technology, has had such a tremendous impact on all of my other work because of the Braille technology. There, there have been so many Braille devices that I probably couldn't begin to tell you what all of them have been. I've had so many Braille displays and Braille-related uh, devices. But a few things that I think weren't... For uh, one thing, in addition to the visual learning aspect of needing Braille... Some of you may know that I, I published a book last year that was a true labor of love. It was so much fun to write and something I needed personally to write for a long time. It's a book that National Braille Press published called When Your Ears Can't Help You See. I started losing my hearing when I was a teenager, but I was very ashamed of it and very secretive about it and have completely gone in the other direction now and, you know, would happily be anyone's hearing aid poster child. I love my hearing aids and all of my hearing technology, just like I love all my Braille technology. And I realized that that probably has had a great deal to do with the fact that I have always worked with 
a braille display. I have never had a computer that was only speech. I, I just don't think I could function like that. I have to have the words under my fingers. Um, so, uh, and I, I think for those, anyone who aspires to do any writing, even if you're not as drawn to Braille as, as I have been, know that it's, it's really the best way to, to get a good command of spelling and, and punctuation and, and so forth. So I had this, this computer with Braille in, in my office, you know, the Versa Braille, and then later I had a PC with various Braille uh, display devices. But uh, in, in 1986, I submitted a proposal to the Cincinnati Enquirer and was so thrilled and still am to this day that um, even though no one was writing about disability rights, um, there, you know, this, I wanted to do a serious, tough-minded, op-ed kind of column and cover all disability-related issues. Well, life went on. So that means if I was at a convention or a tech conference or on vacation with my children, I always had a column to do because I've never done anything ahead of schedule in my life. So, so there have been lots and lots and lots of occasions over the years where I'm in a mad scramble. One guy said to me one year at a CSUN conference, this is like you never graduated from college. You're always pulling an all-nighter to get the term paper done. Well, it's kind of true. That is kind of like what, what being a writer and having deadlines is like. But I, I thrive on it, and I love it. And so over the years, there was one Braille device after another that I was trying to connect up to a hotel's phone lines or connect later when we had high-speed Internet in the business center and so forth to... Um, to, to get my column sent in. And one reason I wanted to mention this, uh, this particular aspect of, of my work is because it's amusing to me that every once in a while, uh, an editor would not catch what really was a Braillo in mm. my transmission. If I'd written the thing on a Braille and speak <laughs> or a Braille light or a Braille note, I wrote it in grade two and used the translation feature to transmit it. And there were a couple of occasions that any discerning reader who maybe read it later in syndicated columns weekly or somewhere might have wondered or noticed. For example, when I put a dash and it was translated as COM, so the following word, which, could, you know, boy became comboy or dog became comdog. And I don't know when that happened. It happened a few times. What was the editor thinking? Does she think I'm so smart I know words she doesn't know? Um, or if there was a period and I neglected to make the space after the period, it's sometimes translated as DD. And so we got some strange combined word with a DD in the middle. But, you know, I was never embarrassed about those. I thought they were kind of cool. It was kind of like my little secret code message to blind people who might, uh, <laughs> who might read the column. So, um, but um, in about 1990, I guess, we got CD-ROM technology, and that launched a whole new era of research for me because 
it's kind of laughable now, but none of us can access CD-ROMs anymore. But I remember getting a CD-ROM that had all the magazines published in 1990 on it. And it was so thrilling because, again, I'm using a computer with a Braille displays. I can put this thing in there and I can pull up articles that I wrote for Women's Day and parenting and they're right there under my fingers and it's so cool. And then, of course, you know, we all know how things advanced and we have the Internet. Another random thing that, that I wanted to mention about, um, about the interface of, of Braille with research is that if you're using Google or, you know, start page or DuckDuckGo or whatever your browser of choice might be for research and, and you have a Braille display, of course, the added advantage is that you get to see how things are spelled, how proper nouns are spelled, so many of which we would never dream in a million years. You know, does anybody remember, like, the first time you realized that Rice Krispies was the K? What? That's not, you know, but, but kids who grow up seeing that stuff know that, know those things intuitively. So uh, another thing that, that I have done off and on over the last several years is I'll use NFB Newsline to research. I remember five or six years ago, I wanted to write a column about uh, this, these parents who was terrible. I, I don't remember the, I, the child's disability. I think it was Down syndrome. They had been rejected for transplant operation on the basis that this child's life wasn't as valuable as the next child on the list. And it was horrible, and they took him to court, and they won, and, you know, the kid got the operation. But I wanted to write about it, and it was news, like, right now. So I don't have much time. And I, I had heard the article, but I had no idea how to spell the family name. Or even the mom. I remember the mom's name was Chrissy or Kristen or something. It was one of those names that could be spelled 50 ways. And so I, I went on Newsline. And um, I found the article, and I emailed it myself, and voila, you know, I've, I've got it under my fingers again. Uh, I, I could go on and on and on and on about all the ways I use Braille. I mean, today, I, I don't know, I just, I have Braille everywhere. But I, I wanted, whenever Braille has been in, in our news in any way, I have always used that as an opportunity to write articles for the mainstream press, either in my newspaper column or elsewhere. And there are a couple of things that relate to advocacy that I wanted to just go on record as saying here. And one is that um, we as blind people have in many instances been ahead of the curve because of technology designed to help us. And I think it's important that we be aware of that. And sometimes that technology has involved Braille. The Braille and Speak that was introduced in 1987 was way ahead of the BlackBerry. We as blind people using that device, and sure it seemed quirky, it looked like a toy, our friends didn't understand it and it sounded funny, but with it, we could take notes, we could keep track of all of our personal information and recipes, and we could do calculations for the first time without having to do everything in our heads. And 
And if we were a certain journalist at the Cincinnati Enquirer, we could go to the signing ceremony of the Americans with Disabilities Act and use that little toy to transmit a page one article back to the paper. So, and that was long before sighted people had equivalent devices. In 1999, I went on a hike with a bunch of women friends in New England, and my college roommate is still talking about how I kept her up all night, and she didn't want to spoil it by telling me, but I was reading. I had, they had just started Web Braille, thanks to Judy Dixon at National Library Service. They had just started Web Braille, where we could download books in Braille, and I had downloaded an Elizabeth Berg novel to my Braille light in 1999, and I just was up all night reading <laughs> So, I mean, I think it's important that we know our place, our technology's place in the mainstream of tech devices. So that's one sort of advocacy-related thing that I wanted to talk about. And the other is that when we find Braille in the public, I think it's really important that we resist that reaction that sighted people and maybe even blind people sometime have that having braille in a public place is sweet or inspiring or precious. It's a right. And we have a right to read what's around us and what matters to us. And when the when the FDR memorial was constructed in Washington, D.C., I was so excited to go there, to see it, to cover it, to write about it. And it was so appalling. Like, this is such a big deal among people with disabilities. Our president is, you know, being honored in, in Washington, and here was a memorial, and all these billions of dollars were spent <laughs> on it and his wheelchair is no longer a secret, and all of the quotations would be represented in both print and Braille, and except the Braille wasn't Braille. The Braille that was supposed to be Ba Relief was indented. Huge, huge walls of Braille quotations, and they were holes, not dots. Yeah, yeah. Now, ultimately, that was corrected, but I think it's important for us to, to know and to remember for, for that kind of disrespect not to be forgotten because Braille is a right and, and it's, it's not cute <laughs> and it's not inspiring. It's just the way we read. In, in 1987 or 88, when Dean Blasey introduced the Braille and Speak, I remember, you know, that was the first portable device we had. And I remember him saying to me that when he was running around showing it to all these blind people, that he had this sort of epiphany, which was that Braille is so personal. He said, I had not realized how personal it is to people. And, of course, we all recognize that. If you get a birthday card and there's Braille on it, I don't know about you, but I always keep those longer. I can read it. If my kids or my grandchildren make something for me and has Braille on it, I, I hang on to it. I can't let it go because it's so personal. Or if somebody shows me, hey, look at this Braille on the wall. Over, you know, I, it's, it's very personal. And as I told you, 
you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing my favorite necklace today because it has my name on it in Braille. I am thankful for the Braille in my life, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk to you about its leading role in my life, and I thank you. Thank you so much, Mrs. Kendrick, for delivering that very inspiring and informative message. And we're certainly looking forward to your speech tomorrow evening. Um, before I move on, I'd just like to point out, you have made a, a whole difference. I have learned something this morning, which is going to make a big difference in my life. Rice Krispies with a K? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Somehow, snap, crackle, pop in the morning is just going to mean something different for me from now on. Okay. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, I will open the floor to anyone who has questions, um, either locally here in our room or in our Zoom room. And I believe Rick Morin is, is serving as our host this morning. I have to apologize to all of you because I'm new to a lot of this hybrid stuff. So bear with me and uh, hang in there. Um, anyone who is sighted, uh, please be aware of any hands that may be raised in the room. And Rick, uh, Mr. Morin, if you are our host, please be uh, advising me if there are any hands raised in that environment as well. We do not have any here on Zoom. Okay. Uh, any um, in the room? Uh, just speak up if you have a question. Okay. Uh, who is the gentleman with the question? Ray Campbell. Yes, sir. Your, your question is, sir? Yes, uh, and I will... Okay, firstly, let me find out from Belinda. Was that audible? Was Mr. Campbell's question audible, uh, Belinda? Uh, no, it was not. Okay. He was basically, he's wondering if uh, our menus be accessible in Braille as well. Uh, Mrs. Kendrick. I guess my, I don't like to get into the weeds of what the ADA should and should not itemize, but I think personally that Braille menus are very, are that, that they're important, that they're critical. I expect them. And again, you know, back to Braille is not cute or precious. Um, I, I wish that more of my blind friends would request Braille menus when in restaurants and when offered one, even if I know the menu, you know, front to back because I go there all the time, I always say, you know, I, I think I know pretty well your menu, but I'd like to take a look at it. Thank you for offering it. And, and I, I, I guess I wish that um, I've said to friends who are not Braille readers when I'm with them, just say you appreciate it, but you don't need it today because I, I think it doesn't get enough attention. 
So, so many things don't need to be legislated necessarily. They need to be advocated for, spoken about, and, you know, there's gratitude without groveling. I'm, I, I have immense gratitude for everything in our environment that makes my life manageable, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to grovel about it because I deserve it. Does that make sense? I mean, we deserve Braille menus. Whether it needs to be legislated or not, I don't think it's so important as just believing that you deserve it and requesting it. Thank you. And I would further posit, um, not that this directly addresses your question, Mr. Campbell, but more that I advocate for it myself, but the ADA workaround is that the option exists for the person needing to know the items on the menu can request verbal uh, assistance from the server or whomever. So that's the ADA workaround. Yes, that's true. Any, any other questions? Okay. Um, before we move on and before I accept um, before I accept a motion to adjourn, there's a few announcements I'd like to make. Firstly, I'm inviting all of you to return tomorrow evening for Deborah Kendrick's keynote speech for the banquet. Um, also, I would like to welcome, uh, belatedly, the president of the Braille Revival League, our national parent organization, Mr. Paul Edwards is with us in the room. Mr. Edwards, good morning. And thank you for joining us this morning. Um, anybody else with announcements? I would also like to thank Debbie Hazelton, Rick Morin, and Belinda Carlisle for, I'm sorry, <laughs> Belinda Collins, is it? Yes. Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. For streaming our presentation this morning to all of you. Nigel, we've got a hand raised. Oh, we have a hand raised. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Nigel. Um, I just wanted to announce that um, I hope some of you can attend the Coalition and Concerns of the Totally Blind meeting tomorrow. Saturday at 3 p.m. Uh, we're going to have two wonderful speakers that's going to be talking about grilling. And uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. They're going to give us safety tips on um, how you can grill safely. They're going to share with us some good recipes uh, for grilling. And I think it's going to be a very good program. So I wanted to invite all of you to participate if you're able to. So Look forward to hearing some of you perhaps tomorrow at 3 p.m. at the CCTB meeting. Thank you. It will be in this room, and you will use your same Zoom link that you used to get into the meeting today. Okay. Thank you, Mrs. Popsky, for that information and for making that announcement. And I just thought of a question for Deborah Kendrick, if you're available to answer it. And this is kind of on a personal level. But the question is, are you also beneficiary of the Xavier Society for the Blind? 
I have a long-standing relationship with the Xavier Society for the Blind. I was invited by them to speak at the New York Public Library about five years ago, maybe, and uh, spend the day with them. And I, I wrote an article about them in a national Catholic magazine called St. Anthony Messenger when they had their 100th anniversary. Um, so, and which, you know, that got a lot of attention for them, which they deserve. But I'm, I'm not officially connected with them in any way. I'm just a, you know, I'm a supporter. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, all right, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mrs. Kendrick. I was just really wondering if you uh, received any of their literature or, like myself, a benefit from their services in any wise. Um, so that was, you've answered my question. Thank you. Anybody else with questions for our guest speaker or any announcements before we adjourn? Oh, one more announcement by your president. Uh, a reminder that our next Zoom meeting will take place on Thursday, June the 3rd at 7.30. Our meetings are conducted on a bi-monthly basis on Zoom. And those of you who do not have a computer um, can also join us telephonically. It's the first Thursday of the month, 7.30 in the p.m. Anybody else? Okay, is that Janine? What is the first Braille book that would be the easiest for a beginning Braille reader, a beginner Braille reader to read something that's written in what we used to call grade one, which is called uncontracted Braille nowadays? Um, I believe that question is addressed to Deborah Kendrick. Um, she wants to know if what would be the title of the first book? Let's see, I started with Skip Along, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> the first book that you would recommend to a beginner Braille reader, which is not written in grade two Braille or contracted Braille, that is totally absent in contractions. My answer is a somewhat useless answer. I said, I can't recommend any particular book. It's been a long time since I have been in the role of teaching Braille. Uh, but the National Library Service and National Braille Press both offer a number of books that are in un uncontracted Braille. Um, you can, from National Braille Press, there are a number of children's books, as Jim mentioned before, which I forgot to um, add my resounding chorus of amen to how much I love that children's book club uh, of National Braille Press. But in recent years, they've added many books that are in grade one, uncontracted Braille. So if you want books for children, that's a great place to start. And many of those are also available for free loan from the National Library Service. And NLS does also have um, some uncontracted Braille titles for adults. I think you just search in uncontracted Braille. I downloaded the uh, Beginner's Guide to Echolocation a couple months ago, and it seems to me it was in uncontracted Braille. I, I won't swear to that, but I think it was. So, but I can't recommend a single, a particular book. I apologize. I would also recommend the, uh, the Hadley Institute, formerly Hadley School of the Blind, has a very good Braille uh, training course. Um, 
that's as an as another source for uh, braille introduction. Uh, Mr. Edwards, you were saying that they don't have. What were you saying, sir? Okay, so Hadley Institute is in a transitional mode at the moment, and I have been told that they also they have added some Braille introductory courses, or at least one. The local lighthouses also have courses in Braille reading, Braille literacy. So your local lighthouse is an option as well as your Division of Blind Services or whatever your state agency that serves the blind. Um, those are other sources. Okay. Anything else? Any other questions or any announcements or any business to come before this meeting? Jim Crott motions adjournment. Is there a second? Mary Tyson seconds. Discussion? All in favor? Aye. Opposed? <laughs> and thank you all again.